Okay, we're live. Yeah. Well, this was a little bit of a quick shift around here because we wanted to update the, what is it, broadcast? Um, yeah. Basically, we switched accounts from my account to Peter's account. So we could add a logo uh, up here to the live stream. So anyways, hopefully that doesn't throw people off because I'm sure we had so many people in the queue to get in on the original stream. And now, <laughs> now they're stuck with like trying to, they're, they're Probably scrambling. Infuriated right it, now. It's yeah. like, it's like sitting down to watch your favorite show and then finding out the ball game is still going. It's in overtime yeah. and you've got yeah. another 10, 15 minutes to wait. And then depending on what state, what channel you're watching it, we're really it sorry. Changes. For you guys. Yeah, yeah we're really, we're <laughs> it changes. Really bad. It's like you know, we'll we'll pick it up where the broadcast was already. You know, mm -hmm. so you missed the first fifteen minutes of your show. Yeah. All right. Um, so we have some fun stuff to talk about today. We do. Yeah. And feel free, everyone, whoever's watching. Uh, I don't know if anyone. Yeah, just uh, to ask questions or comments, make some comments, and we'll be glad to that's why we wanted to go on this forum because we want to interact more with our audience a whole yeah. lot more yeah i think it'll be a little bit nicer environment um so we have a, the plan was to talk about yeah. two things i don't know if we want to do that in two parts two different videos or just included in the same video um but we had planned today to talk about covid lockdowns yeah as well as mm -hmm election preparing yeah. for the we'll election. see where we can go yeah sure it's a I big mean, it's a big day yeah it's a big day on tuesday <laughs> they're not unrelated is, yeah. right there no there's, no <laughs> there's a relationship yeah. between the impact that the lockdowns are having on the election right yeah big time i think we could probably integrate the two of them pretty easily okay and go back and forth yeah well, and we wanted to also just talk about you're going to talk about it social uh, as a pastor. And I was going to talk about it a little bit of what I'm seeing as a therapist. So um, right. I think we will have a good discussion today on what the lockdowns or what they did and what they may do. I don't know if you heard that Germany and France are now locked down uh, for at least a month um, where I'm at. We're back in the red in where I'm, you know, in Beverly, Mass. I don't know where you guys are, but yeah. Um, well, what does red mean for you? Uh, yeah, actually, or, or, no, it just, uh, yeah, just more like risk. I think there's, um, there are a lot of students at, um, some of the schools here, uh, that, yeah, basically kind of spread it, um, around, okay. you know, some, yeah, had a lot to do with college students a lot. Yeah. It's not so much red for, for the elderly. That's the last I checked. At least that's what my wife said. Okay. But I don't Yeah. Hopefully well, we're not going to be locking down anytime soon, but well, yeah. Um, I, go I'm ahead, not I'm sure what yeah. red for, we have tears like purple is, is the lockdown. Basically red would be 25% capacity in person. Uh, if you need to, or if you're opening up a restaurant or something like that, you have some pretty si significant restrictions involved. Yeah. And then, um, you know, it goes down from there to, I don't know if it's like blue and then yellow, they don't have a green, you know, it's like, there's mm -hmm. never going to be getting back to green. That's kind of the idea. But anyways, it's a little bit, uh, we're, we're still in the, the red tier as well. Uh, and 
the numbers don't really match up. Like we should actually be in the purple tier, but they're leaving us in red. Maybe that's because they just know we're going to be a rebellious County and we won't listen. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, okay. I don't really know. I'm not sure why, <laughs> but that is the plan. Mm. Um, so don't know where we want to begin. We have, uh, I, I thought a couple of ways we could go about this, either talking about, uh, I, I want to talk about the church, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to talk about kind of the impact on the community um, and then start kind of locally, but then also goes uh, city, county, uh, personally, or not personally on, in my own instance, but thinking about it in terms of how it affects individuals. And that's where I think your your experience would be really mm-hmm. helpful to hear. And then, yeah, also, yeah. and then also broadening that out to the nation and, and mm-hmm. the world eventually. So it, it, I don't know if that's the, if we start off at the local level or start off with the world level and go in, but I was thinking I could just interview you a little bit as a pastor and then maybe you could interview me a little bit as a, um, as a therapist. So yeah, why don't we, why don't we just kind of jump right in and tell me what it's like, what you're, yeah, what, what you're seeing as a pastor, you've been in this for going on eight to nine months now. I know as a church member, I could tell you some stuff, what I see, what I feel, but what is it like for you? as a pastor of a congregation, you know, how, how have you spiritually stayed healthy? What are some of your encouragements? What are the encouraging things you see? What are some of the discouraging things that you see? Just, yes, that's kind of multiple questions. I'd like to see where you go with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think in the beginning there was definitely some long-term discourage or just uh, a lot of the, the impact of that isolation, not being connected, not having a weekly gathering was impacting uh, really the unity of the church. There was so much division early on and just a desire to gather and, and not being able to, um, and then having, having just, uh, uh, there was a lot of frustration um, and trying to navigate how to do that with uh, trying to navigate how to shepherd at the same time as trying to transition from a regular worship service that, you know, I'm used to leading to doing it all online and trying to figure out we didn't have the, the adequate technology to do live stream at that time. So Mm. we were just, and we were concerned that the, that every, everyone trying to go live stream at once was going to impact the, um, you know, the, the ability for your system to, to even manage it. So I don't know, what the reality of that is. I think a lot of churches had just a ton of technical issues early on, but that did, that did get easier over time. I mean, um, people figured out what they were doing, but we just stuck with doing a video recording of the sermon ahead of time and then posting it and watching it together at home, um, as a family. And so people Mm -hmm. could watch it at their convenience. And then we provided a bulletin for people to, to follow along. But, um, and that that was interesting and unique for a while, but it, it it quickly wore off, you know. And and in fact, I think Barna research early with about six or seven weeks into it found out that after three or four weeks, um, something like thirty percent of the church was no longer even doing anything online. They were just you know they were just going about uh, their Sunday as as any other day, and mm-hmm. and that that's problematic. Of course, people are mm-hmm. are reducing their uh, you know their um, dependence of, or their appreciation of the church and, and of attendance, it clearly had an impact on their need when all you can do is virtual 
um, attendance. So wow. it's it's not a healthy atmosphere for for worship. And once we realized that, I think we we quickly moved toward wanting to meet in person. And so I met with the I went to the city council, kind of gave gave my arguments for wanting to um, allow us to reopen for the city to to not enforce anything. And they had announced that they were not going to on um, it was like the first the first Monday in April, it must've been May because mm. it was, it was at least six or seven weeks into it. Um, and, you know, they were feeling the impact of, of lockdowns um, with small businesses. I, mean, I think by mid May um, they were already reporting that not, not our city, but the nation was reporting like a hundred thousand small businesses had been shut down completely, like for good. Um, and so that obviously I'm already getting into beyond the church, but I think that the, the level of impact in the city was already apparent that early on. So they were thinking in terms of, you know, how they could best encourage, um, people mm -hmm. to, to react. And I think for us, it was, it was just, if our local council is not going to enforce anything. The county's not enforcing it. Now you have tension between governing authorities. So while there's Romans 13 involvement and in recognizing mm. the authorities and respecting and honoring them, you have a conflict of authorities that you have to take into account there. And on top of that, you have the constitution, which is an authority in our uh, nation. And so if there's a violation of the constitution, there's a violation of the conscience of your local leaders. Uh, I think it becomes a little bit of a conscience issue. And, and each church had to make a decision on, you know, in their own context of thinking through these issues. And for us, it was uh, pretty clear that if, mm. that, that we were going to move forward. And I think that was the healthiest thing for our church. Um, it pretty quickly, most people came back right away where we are a small church. So yeah, I think wow. when, when you're in a smaller mm -hmm. church, people are more dependent, more, more interested in gathering and seeing one another. Yeah. They're yeah. Not, they're not just wanting to be a fly on the wall, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, uh, I mean, what um, were, were you ever getting, did you ever get to the point where it was like a pastor that you were, you know, just how was it like for your own spiritual growth? I mean, was that difficult for you to see, talk, you know, no yeah. one there, well, I, very few attendants. I mean, right. how was that for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely the, mm. the first few weeks where you were just sort of, I went to the office by myself and then I went home. So I mean, the mm -hmm. office was technically, you weren't even really supposed to go out of your house uh, unless you were in, doing some essential work, but the office was empty. Right. So I, I just, I went to mm -hmm. work and back and um, yeah, not seeing anyone for mm. four weeks outside of my family was um was interesting definitely preaching to no one is not fun <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> preaching mm -hmm. to a camera is where you don't get mm. any feedback it's awkward um yeah and and so i was ready to 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 see people again and um and then on mm. top you know i was pretty regularly getting coffee and lunch and we're still not really back to normal for that because so many restaurants aren't open um, and so trying to, trying to get back into a swing of things to just disciple people, get back where right. I'm regularly in touch with finding out how people are doing in their, 
you know, in their spiritual lives, in their work and uh, at home, that's all yeah. part of pastoral ministry that just got shut down for a while. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, well, it was a that, huge, uh, go ahead. Yeah. It was a huge, no, yeah, it was a huge impact for sure. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. on the personal pastoral ministry. Well, I mean, yeah. When you think about what the pandemic is having on, I mean, I don't think you could really separate spiritual and physical per se. A lot of these, you know, instances, because right. it's like, you're getting worse uh, mental health conditions. You're getting worse chronic health problems, regard, you know, difficulty sleeping, um, changes in eating uh, and, and, and um, drinking a lot more. Um, right. Been a huge increase of um, everywhere from tobacco to alcohol and even other substances, much worse. Um, everyone right. just in constant fear, you know, of about their own health and the health of your loved ones, your financial situation, your job, your employments, which is also going to affect your tithe or whether or not you do tithe and, you know, um, loss of services. So just support you're relying on. This has been devastating, you know, and I mm-hmm. can, I can imagine the church is supposed to be, you know, has been, I think this is a, this is a manifestation the first time where we went from going to our church to for spiritual health to going to the CDC, hmm. which is really interesting to me, you know, because it's like, this is the first, it was really clear to me during these past nine months, most Christians that I interact with are not necessarily, even when I see online, I don't want to speak for all Christians, but many of them are not necessarily going to their churches. They're actually going more to like CDC and who websites, you know, to get a lot of their right. information and for their own uh, benefit, which is, you know, fine. I, I'm okay with but it's it just it was kind of a neat interesting observation because usually you oh, would yeah. think of going to the church for your your spiritual growth and but we're we're coping with the stress in this way that is purely met on a medical you know on a medical basis which is right. I don't know what your take was on that but yeah huh well I mean just thinking back to I yeah I mean I I definitely think there was a an addition of a lot of different authority figures that we all started to look to and and not everyone had the same opinion about which authority figure was worthy of listening to <laughs> as the priority. Right. right? So, yeah. I mean, I think mm-hmm. pastors definitely um, went down a few notches in people's minds and they started thinking more about, well, I want to listen to my doctor. I want to listen to the epidemiologist that's on the TV. I want to, you know, I want to start reading these articles and, and mm-hmm. all these uh, reports on studies and about the effectiveness of mass and the effectiveness of whatever, um, mm-hmm. compared to, uh, you know, I guess just, it was just a, it was, it was a radical quick shift in terms of what, where we spent our time, what we spent mm-hmm. our time reading and watching. Um, and that was in, that included me as well. But I think just in terms of my responsibility as a pastor, other aspects of the worship service that got shut down by our by our governor at least. And maybe I think I definitely know other states have, have followed suit, but I'm not sure if all of them did to the extent that governor Newsom did, you know, mm-hmm. he said no singing. He said no, uh, he, he highly discouraged communion. I'm not sure if he ever mandated that you couldn't take communion. Um, but he was, it was in the list of things that uh, things that you should, um, you should not be doing. So singing communion, having any kind of chanting or call and response aspect in your service, which we do a call response in our mm-hmm. um, call to worship. So I'll read and then the people will respond. So those kinds of things were supposed to, to, to uh, 
increase the spread and so you should not do them. And for me, that now becomes a conflict of scripture, which scripture tells us to do all of those things, right? It tells us mm -hmm. to have singing, to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. Uh, it tells us to take the Lord's Supper. That's not mm -hmm. just an option. It's a command. Do this right. in remembrance right. of me. So yeah. you don't just get to not do this. And, right. if, and right. you can't, I don't believe you can take that virtually. A lot of churches started doing it virtually, like just follow along with me. That's not communion. That that yeah. that disrupts the meaning of communion. So mm. I think the responsibility that pastors have to mm. put an emphasis upon regathering in person, getting back to the things that scripture prescribes for us to to do in worship is has got to become a priority, especially now that as you said at the beginning, you've got nations relock entering lockdown. So what is the church going to do? Are they going to go back into lockdown? We've seen the impact it's had. And yeah. so I, I, I just, my encouragement to pastors is obviously mm. you need to maintain unity. And so if you have this uh, real disruption among your leadership, then you have to deal mm. with that, um, I think, carefully. But I would be strongly advocating for for regathering um, in person uh, to to whatever degree you can with whatever guidelines and restrictions are necessary in order to to mm. do that. But man, the the disruption of unity is just as devastating for the church right now, in my opinion, than than anything else. We have so many so many people frustrated um, and and not being pastored or not being shepherded because the leadership. Yeah doesn't want to regather. So I don't want to just bash on I mean, this isn't a time to, to, you know, complain oh, no. about other churches. Well, no, Everyone's I, doing it differently. Yeah. Well, unity is very important. I was just reading my children, um, Aesop's fables, and there's a really great fable in there on the four oxes and the lion. And the, um, basically the oxes were all together. And uh, every time the lion would try to eat one of the oxes, they would all get together and put their horns and drive the lion away. And then one time the ox all the oxen start to argue amongst themselves and they get mad at one another and get bitter and angry. And then all the oxen go out in different corners and the lion devours one of the ox. And the, the moral of the story is make sure that you're strongly unified. And I think of like in first Peter, it says, or yeah, the Satan is like a roaring lion waiting for somebody right. to devour. And I think he, I think, you know, as, um, I think Satan loves the disunity. I was just meeting with a friend yesterday, just like he loves this. He loves the disunity mm -hmm. that's being caused right now. Um, he is yeah. sitting back smoking a big blunt and just loving it. You know, I, I do. And I think that's, you're right, because I think the one thing that's going to bring us together, it's not racial reconciliation as much as that is important. That's not the point of the, of the you know, that's, that's that it, it never, it's the gospel. I mean, the gospel is a manifestation of everybody wants racial reconciliation. I do too, but the gospel is the transcendence is the transcendent issue of race. It's not black and white. It's the gospel, you know, which brings us all together. If you get what I'm saying, it's, mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's the Galatian hope and cause is the unity of our, of our savior is to come together and to say that Jesus died and Jesus rose and people are getting really passionate about so many issues. But if the gospel is not the foundation of that, you're going to get more, you're going to be like the ox. You're going to be like, you're going to be arguing amongst yourselves. And that's exactly right. when I think that's, you know, I, and I, I was kind of convicted too, as a, it's why I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because as a pastor, because as a, as a church goer, I was realizing my own spiritual growth has been just plummeting. Mm -hmm. 
you know, just because mm. I've, I've been getting more upset about things. I've been getting more irritable. I've been getting, you know, feeling more distressed and more anxious, uh, feeling, you know, uh, having some real disbelief. And then I just said to my wife, literally just a few weeks ago, it's like, we are going back to church, period. This is not an option anymore. Like we're going. And she was like, mm. yes. You know, and I was like, we got to go. I can't do this. Like I can't do, I, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I grew up in a, you know, non-Christian environment and Jesus is, he is my, he's my rock. And if, but if I don't have the word preached, I'm not in a good place. <laughs> I can just say that. I'm fine advertising that. I, I think I could probably speak for a lot of people. Like, I don't think any of us are. We are mm. not in a good place without the word, man. I mean, I, I don't want to be there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I you know, it's just, man. Yeah. So, so thank you for the work that you do. Cause I mean, we need, we need the, we need pastors. We need people that are, you know, oh, to help us, to help us through this psychologically very, very, very difficult time. Yeah. Well, anyway. I, I mean, I just would add, and I, I mean, I appreciate you saying that. I think a lot of, mm. a lot of people don't want that accountability. Pastors feel a little reluctant to kind of rec encourage and, and people to be at church or to encourage people to, um, be mm. committed, you know, like, I mean, uh, uh membership is, it, unless you're in a, you know, an old school church does, doesn't really get emphasized in churches anymore. There's just that, there's this sort of yeah. um, disdain for institutional uh, bodies and, and the church is just one of those. So there's this mm. discouragement to um, emphasize that commitment. And I think that's part of what's lacking right now is, is there's uh, people who don't want accountability, don't get it. They don't need it. And, and uh, they feel actually uh, comfortable not seeking it, right? They feel mm -hmm. they feel justified because the all of the media that's coming at them is telling them it's safe to stay home. The best thing you can do is stay home and not not go anywhere. And and so that actually for me that I start to think about people who are going through depression, people who are suffering from anxiety, um, and mm -hmm. and and that makes me want to talk to you <laughs> about some of those questions yeah. because. Because yeah. I think you've got some some. I'll just share one thing from my point of view on that, and then mm. and then I want to yeah, hear sure. your thoughts. Because let mm. me see um, if I can share this uh, article here that I came across um, on the the severe suffering that's happening among teenagers. Can can you see that? Oh right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. why are more American teenagers than ever suffering from severe anxiety? Mm. Parents, therapists, and schools are struggling to figure out whether helping anxious teenagers means protecting them or pushing them to face their fears. And, you know, we won't get into this article, but um, I I think that is a point. Obviously, New York Times Magazine, this was, um, this was uh, written in October 11th. So it's a relevant subject. <clears throat> um, yeah, but I'd love to hear. Oh, sure. Your your thoughts on just the prevalence yeah. of anxiety right now. Well, no, that's a good, that's a great question. I mean, because Jonathan Haidt kind of talks about that. He talks about like the three myths of um, that we often believe, at, you know, in, in the coddling of the American mind, or at least the youth are believing right now, and that is like trust your own feelings um, always. 
uh, you know, what doesn't make you weaker makes you stronger or something like that. It kind of, <laughs> you know, so in other words, don't take risks. That's the second myth that we, that we take or the youth are taking. And then the third is that there's such a thing as an us versus them mentality. <clears throat> so I think that's, that feeds right in. I mean, that's, that's, um, when you, when you fail psychologically to take risks, you know, whenever I would meet with people in their in-home therapy, when in, in, in home therapy, or I, I've seen a lot of clients, this is going way back in 2011, 2012, when I had a client that was say, for example, living just on the system, I know it sounds a little bit more condescending, but you know, just depending on welfare and depending on food stamps, whatnot, and they were not working over a, at first it would be like, well, it's because of my anxiety. Um, and then I would meet with these clients and my hope was like, well, let's help you actually get out of your anxiety. And what, that is where I got the most resistance, actually. It, when they were getting better, there was always one more reason not to go out and go get the job. There was one more reason not to go out because their anxiety was so debilitating, but it was more of a mental play that they would do with themselves. I mean, that's that's the thing about some of these disorders, like somatoform disorder, especially when it's combined with anxiety disorder, your mind starts to think of itself worse than it actually is. And that becomes very excessive and addicting. So what I'm most concerned about, I think it's like, the more psychologically we tell ourselves something is worse and worse and worse, we are, we are not gonna go we're not go, we're not going toward action, and I think that's what we're seeing. I mean, even though cases are are rising, death is the is plummeting, plummeting. And like I work at a hospital, mm -hmm. I talk to doctors, I talk to nurses all the time, and I I'm always always asking them, you know, how is the how's the COVID situation? I can't tell you how often I hear from doctors and nurses at my hospital and other hospitals too. They're like, no, it's fine. You know, we're, we're doing okay. You know, and, and like they have, there's, right. there's, I'm not trying to minimize it. It's still deadly, you know, if you get it wrong, but I mean, they have significantly better medicines. They have much better antibodies. They are, they're tackling it a lot better when they, when elderly mm -hmm. people are coming in, they know how to handle it much easier. Um, the hospitals are not like ballooning. It never really did. And so when, are, when is it going to get it to a point where, kind of like what the Buddhists say, you know, I mean, we're not Buddhists, but I mean, I think, you know, there's one element of Buddhism that I find it to be true, you know, that is a philosophy, you know, and that is life is suffering. When are we going to just say to ourselves, you know, life has pain, life has suffering, suffering, life has distress, life has death. This is a dangerous disease. Wear your mask, wash your hands, keep your social distance, and you're going to have to take a risk. Right. And I, I don't know when, when will that happen? And I don't, mm. I don't see that happening for a really long time, even though I think, but I'm not sure what we're waiting for. You know, even if mm. we have a vaccine, people keep adding more and now they're going to say, well, this is only a 50% vaccine. I want to wait for a 75% vaccine. And then they're going right. to say, well, it's a 75% vaccine, but it's not quite helping my children the way I really thought it would. So I'm going to wait for a vaccine that really helps my children up to a 95%. You see, I mean, that's, that's how we perseverate with anxiety. And I see it all the time. And so the thing is, is that eventually that part of you will never be satisfied with an answer. And so the thing is with anxiety, you do have to take a risk. I'm not saying go out and like lick telephone poles. And like just be <laughs> I mean, I'm not, you know, but it's we we I think as a country, we have to at the end of the day say, hey, it's dangerous. This is what you got to do to stay away from it. 
but I don't know what else to tell you. You know, I mean, and that might that seems so insensitive to a lot of people. I don't think it is. I think that's just that is there's an element of, you know, I guess yeah. reality therapy that has to come in as well for you to kind of take the next step. So, um, yeah, it, I'm just waiting for the next quote excuse <laughs> before I not do something. And um, so I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you basically saying people need to hear facts. Mm. They need to hear reality. They need to face that truth. And and in a sense, that's what the article New York Times was writing about: was do oh. we push them to face their fears, or do we kind of coddle them and and comfort them, and you know, uh, I guess give them safe spaces, right? I mean, that's the negative way of putting it. But you get the right. point. Like you're either going to try to. Um, mm you know, uh, empathize with them in their, in their state and, and help them to feel normal in that, or you're going to yeah. tell them, no, 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 these fears are actually irrational to a degree. And you've, you've extended it beyond reality. Mm. And, and part of that is, is, you know, the media is to blame for these, these increased fears. Um, another aspect too, though, that I would say it, it plays into anxiety mm. and depression is that, one of the greatest tendencies of someone going through that is to isolate, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, someone who's going through depression, they want to be by themselves and now they have reason to do that. They sort of are encouraged to do that. And so the greatest cure or the, mm -hmm. you know, the remedy that they need is now not available to them, or at least it's being discouraged. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, you know, that's huge psychologically and what that does. I mean, the biggest the biggest fallacy we often believe is groupthink. And, you know, and we, when we just kind of hang out only with ourselves and just our families, that's not healthy, you know, over the long run. That's why I'm seeing so many separations. My, my practice right now, we have four clinicians and we have a wait list of three months, you know, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm, I, I'm, my business is good, but it's, you know, they're, they're, um, my church is, pleading with me to continue to do the marriage class, you know, because it's just been mm. really hard. It has, it, it you know, wow. we are seeing separations and divorces that would probably not would probably would not have occurred if this was not going on. Um, and that's affecting kids and kids. The risk for them getting it is still astronomically low. It's tiny. Right. And even if they do get it, the, the ramifications of that, as far as everything that I'm reading, I'm not, you know, so I, you know, and I, I do think it gets, it has gotten to the point now that, I mean, we're, I mean, we're seeing people at the hospital, um, that would have never attempted suicide and are attempting, you know, it just, it's, it's some real serious things that we're seeing and, um, lots of depression, lots of substance abuse, huge amounts mm -hmm. of it. And it's just like, when you're only hanging out mainly with yourself. We're made for relationships. You know, I mean, mm. little babies die after only a few days of not having human contact. Um, the mirror neurons in our brain are so vital for empathy, compassion, and love. And if I can't see you, you know, that that is psychologically damaging to us in mm. the long run. When will we not wear masks? And it's just even when I'm out in public, it's not really a public forum. It's it's just you know the eye contact through you know is is without without seeing your face 
is you know it's a similar it's the same thing as if as if you're just staring at your cell phone i feel completely alien mm. and isolated mm. so if the ramifications of all these things the isolation what that does to the human brain um you know men in their 50s um have the highest suicide rate 50s and 60s um that is probably mm. only going to increase significantly and then there's also you know young teenage girls and the main reason why young teenage girls have such a high increase as you could probably guess social media so what are they doing in all the times of social, you know, of isolation, increase of significant social media? And then you have a lot of men who are losing jobs. You also have men that are in their middle, you know, middle-aged, middle-aged men and women who um, are feeling isolated from their families and loved ones. So it's just, it, it's, you know, I, I, it, I, I do strongly believe at this point that the cure is significantly harming is worse than than you know what the actual issue is, if that makes sense. Not not the cure that is harm. Right. I, I think us trying to find a cure at this point. The cure is, is worse than the disease. The cure is worse than the disease. Thank you. I was just <laughs> just kind of in the yeah. I was in mid sentence of narrative form. <laughs> so I'm like, what is the real quip? <laughs> you know. So yeah. No. I just, mean. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's kind of. It's concerning. Yeah. Anyway, but um. Well, I think you brought yeah. up a couple of things that I'd like to to address as well, the, um, just, or, or consider together, but as we're thinking about the city, the County, the state, um, mm -hmm. the impact of the lockdowns early on my argument, and maybe, maybe not early, like I would say six weeks into it, because I was pretty, I was trying to be patient <laughs> for, yeah. for a good while. But as soon as, um, it was apparent that we were, we were getting our county was being locked down. We had something like at that point we had like uh, less than a dozen deaths. I mean, it was it was really really small, and and there were hospitalizations. Um, even like four months into it, we're at a rate of like two uh, a day, and uh, you know obviously that's taking in clients and releasing other clients. So the number the number of beds that were available for COVID patients was was never even close to being at capacity. And so um, anyways, that was like, that was a, a I guess an important um, factor in transitioning to wanting uh, to argue or at least take social media as a platform to try to influence people to, are, to, to point these things out, point these statistics out to their city officials, to their county officials, to their governor even, um, so that they would see that people are not approving of what we're doing. Um, the school shutdowns, uh, stunting academics, um, hiding abuse that's taking place because so many of abused children are discovered by their teachers or by their, you know, um, staff at, at, at schools, uh, nursing. And, and, uh, it, it just seemed like that, that is a problem, a growing concern. Um, you have just, as you said, an increase in social media addiction, uh, that there's no doubt that that has a negative impact upon the, uh, um, emotional health of children. And, and yet right now that's really their only outlet to get that interaction. Um, and, and Which so the problem was we were, yeah. we Which were all being treated. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. Well, and I, I was saying all of that to just point out the fact that new, we were all being treated like New York city. 
We were all mm. being treated as if at any point we could all become New York City and, and have to bring in, you know, refrigerated trucks to, t to take the bodies and stuff, which I think even that itself was an exaggeration of the of the what was happening in New York City. I know that happened like maybe at one point um, for a few uh, for a night or two, but it was like that became the news. And, and, uh, so yeah. go ahead. I, yeah, I, just no, I wondered, that's that. a, that's a really good point. And that's, that's why people believe conspiracy theories right there. What you just said, because right. when the, when the people that you trust, like the who or the CDC or the president or, you know, or your governor or your mayor and all these things don't, if they're not true, you stop, you actually stop, you know, depending on these, authority figures. And that's often why people will start believing other theories that are completely fallacious, which just either prolongs the pandemic or makes it worse. You know, right. that's all I was going to say. Right. I mean, it's just, that's not a good, healthy place for us to be. Um, because I, I, you know, we, Steven Pinker talks about this, that we're not, we're not a species. Uh, a, we're not a group that, that seeks truth. You know, and an increase in empathy and compassion through this is not necessarily guaranteed. And you're already seeing a lot less of that today. Um, right. You know, I, I act I, because what we're and the main reason for that is because what's being activated more than anything is is disgust. Hmm. You know, disgust yeah. is a very powerful emotion. It's the number one reason why marriages fall apart, as you've probably heard me say so many times on this podcast. And because disgust is a natural you know, emotion to feel during a pandemic, you know, you should feel that. But I think that's one of the things that's causing a lot of us to feel so d divided. I don't think it's an accident that you have a pandemic and you have all these tons of riots. They often do go right. hand in hand because it's the emotion to disgust and it's immediate polarization. And that's why we're not necessarily going to see more compassion and more empathy. We're going to see a lot more division. And it's, and what that means is that we're not, um, seeking truth in a lot of this, a lot of these areas. Mm. And it's just, it's going to affect our sociability, you know, and all mm. of those things. And um, it's, I, I think we're going to see the impact of it is going to be more severe, you know, and I, I don't think it's not necessarily because of the disease itself, but our reactions and the way that we're adapting to the disease more so than the disease itself. It's not the worst disease human beings have ever faced, but it's it, it's probably one of the worst reactions to a disease that oh, yeah. humans have ever faced. I mean, and, and a lot of that has to do with the environment that we're in. I mean, you know, so yeah, that's a, anyway. Well, and it's, and it always goes, it always, always goes back to the whole lives over money, right? Economy, mm -hmm. what's more important? Uh, health or economy, and and I just think that's a um, it's a dichotomy that it's a false dichotomy, right? We to eliminate or to to shut down to literally kill so many small businesses. I mean, I I don't know how indicative this is of uh, you know across the nation, but Yelp, you know, the website that that tracks or that you can find oh, right. restaurants yeah. and. Yeah. and uh, Right. Uh, businesses on, they had something like 60% of their businesses that said they were closed down for lockdowns or for, you know, COVID, uh, 60% of those businesses, uh, notified that they were shutting down permanently, um, during this time. So, 
again, I don't know how how permanent or how much that that reflects the reality of of all businesses because not all businesses are on Yelp. Um, but it it's a significant portion of lives that have been devastated. Mm. And we all we want to look at is cases mm. of COVID. Mm. It's like, no, you have got to be in, you've got to get economists involved in this discussion because they mm -hmm. have a good idea of the impact that it's going that financial devastation is going to have on homes and families. And, and that's where I think the who, you know, um, world health organization has flipped on lockdowns recently, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. they recognize that who is most impacted by these lockdowns is the poor, those who are poor and, and unable to, you know, um, mm -hmm. to, to sustain themselves without the income or without the the care that they need and depend upon various businesses and institutions that are all locking down. Um, it just, mm. they are all being impacted by this. And so it, the number of people in that category in, in not just like are losing money, but are actually entering into a severe poverty category is, is exponentially growing right now worldwide. Mm. Right? Yeah. And so, um, as if we if we completely ignore that, who's being compassionate, right? Who's the compassionate one? Or just to talk nothing about the poverty, the increase in severe poverty, but just about COVID mm. cases, and and then to say, you know, uh, to to chastise and to um, shame people who have contrarian views, and that's been happening, you know, from the beginning. Instead of having a conversation about this. So I don't know if you want to say anything about that or if anyone that's watching or listening wants to comment and uh, ask questions, feel free to do that. We'd love to yeah. interact with you as well. But it, it mm. seems to me that the discussion has been shut down anytime that it's been approached, anytime some contrarian voice, even epidemiologists, and I'll, I'll point out a, a few of those, anytime that's, a, that's, a, that's an opportunity, they get shamed mm -hmm. by the the mob you know of media and by those yeah. who are afraid yeah i think you know the the book i was just telling you about reading too that you are i'm halfway done is the conflict of visions by thomas Sowell, which is just yeah. a, such a good book and i i think it you know it makes sense a lot if you look at the vision of the unconstrained versus the constrained if your view of home if human nature is this utopian vision of man, you're going to see people as malleable and perfectible. So it makes sense as a society that you have to have like these kings or pro or prophets or philosopher kings, or in this case, major doctors or major leaders that basically tell you what you're supposed to do. Because if you have this view that people are malleable and perfectible, it would actually make sense why you have to have constant experts. Um, and so laws are going to be judged by their intentions. You're going to favor human action, um, you know, is going to be more human action. What is it? Human action is going to be motivated by selflessness and sincerity. So as long as you're sincere, so therefore racism, crime, all of those, they're just like learned phenomena. And if I could educate more and more and more and more, all of these things will kind of go away. 
And that actually makes sense to me. And I think the majority of our country probably right now believes that about people. And that's it definitely that's how big tech sees things. And that's why they're shutting people down because, hey, you're mm -hmm. going against what we see as an unconstrained or utopian vision, which, hey, we want to get to the point where there's perfect, where, where there's no pandemic for the rest of our lives. It's just this utopian vision. And so if you go in and you start saying things like, hey, you know, um, these, this population group is not nearly as affected. This population group is actually getting a whole lot better. You're going against their whole premise, which is um, I have to go in and educate through these experts in the field. And therefore you're kind of going against my vision or my gut feeling. And I do, I do, I do think there are two contrary visions or urges as Thomas Sowell states that, that we're seeing that's, that's different from just Republican and Democrat. It's a, it's your assumption of human nature. And if you assume that about people, then yeah, I want to shut you down because you can't, you're, 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 you're going to hurt all of these people through educational programs. And that's why we, you know, that's why we see this right now. And so, but I think the constraint or the tragic vision of man, which soul is kind of, he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily make an apology for it or a defense for it, but I mean, you could tell that he favors it more. What it says is that, look, you know, we have, we have a hard world. Um, and it's not so much experts in all these areas. It's all of us. We have some type of wisdom because I love your point when you're saying when we become so focused just on the, the medical experts, but we ignore the economists. That dichotomy right. is going to ruin any society. The same as if we just focused on the economists we, and we ignored the medical experts. It's everyone in and the tragic vision of man is because of the tragedy that we all suffer at the same at the same end, all of us also share in some type of wisdom as well. And so therefore we mm -hmm. can't just compartmentalize, you know, who are the experts and who are not the experts. It affects everybody. So at the end of the day, People wear a damn mask and go out. Okay, <laughs> there's a there's a coronavirus. That's what I want to say. I'm like, as I don't know yeah. what else to tell you. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. <laughs> well, so let's let's um, let me bring Dr. Fauci. Let's bring the expert into this discussion. Oh, yeah, and, um, I thought he was on. He was like wanting to say something. <laughs> yeah. So, Dr. Fauci, why don't you join us? No, he he, okay, Dr. Cool. Fauci. <laughs> two days. This was on the 28th, just Wednesday. He warns of a whole lot of pain due to coronavirus pandemic in the coming months. Mm -hmm. um, if things do not change, if they continue on the course we're on, there's going to be a whole lot of pain in this country with regard to additional cases and hospitalizations and deaths. Fauci mm -hmm. said in an interview Wednesday evening on the news with Shepard Smith, states in the Northeast held the virus in check over the summer, but are seeing cases climb again. And in the last bullet point there is Fauci noted, however, that cities like New York and Philadelphia are more equipped to deal with the surge, whereas locations in the Northeast or Northwest wow. and Heartland are going to have a more difficult time with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I thought, um, you know, in at one level you have this, uh, you have an expert who is sort of doubling down on the danger and the threat and looking at nothing but uh, the increase in cases. And as you said earlier, mm -hmm. ignoring, ignoring the evidence of deaths still not matching. I mean, I could pull up that graph too, where you have the, yeah. the uh, cases increasing and you have, and really going into a, a zone that they've never gone in our, in our nation. Like we're worse mm. than we were on the first, in that first wave 
as they call it. Now we're right. in this second wave that it has more cases than the first wave. And yet deaths are like half of what they were in the first wave. So I think it's, it's even 80% in a lot of cases, 80 to 85% less. Yeah. Even lower. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's, yeah, mm. the data is just, we're, we're trying to simplify it so much that we're just being dishonest <laughs> to yeah. a degree to say that the threat is so much worse. Like the pain, lots of pain is to come. Well, sure. In a sense, there's going to be deaths. There's going to be an increase in cases. Mm. So yes, more pain is to come. But I mean, are you comparing it to the first wave? Because if you compare it to the first wave, then that's not true. It's not more, it's less, less, less death, less effect and impact upon. Now, if we keep in lockdown situation, then I think you very well could see more pain because it's only increasing the inevitability of these businesses shuttering for good. Um, so which Daniel economic. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Daniel, I was about to say, Daniel, I was going to say Daniel yeah. McPherson had a comment. So I thought I'd share that. He said, I yeah. think elites refusal to talk openly and honestly about COVID cases undermined public trust and hurt the overall response to COVID. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. The, mm -hmm. the, the few elites that did speak up and I would say there weren't really, maybe they're not even in the elite category because their names weren't known until, until COVID hit. But those who were in the know, those other epidemiologists, when they spoke up, they got blasted. Yeah. Um, so another another thought I, I wanted to share, another um, hmm. article um, was regarding this great well, variance yeah. declaration. Did you want to do, say something first? Yeah, I mean, one thing, I mean, going back on Sol's book too, I mean, he, mm -hmm. he makes, you know, the, the utopian vision. Um, if you have this, if also, if you have this view of people that is malleable and perfectible, it would make sense that you would see like a market economy to obey the power of particular interests. And it should be made in the future to obey the power of the public interest, I guess, you know, so it's, it's, it seeks to define the public interest by itself, you know, and so this is this is a particular interest that, you know, and therefore we should market should go toward that end. Whereas the tragic or the constrained vision of man of, of what Saul was saying, I'm just quoting him here, is that he sees market economies as responsive to systemic forces, the interaction of innumerable individual choices and performances. In other words, they have to keep going. It's not just the particular interests of certain people that are in power. It's through, it's the systemic forces of everyone that's, that's participating, if that makes sense. So it's just mm -hmm. kind of like, I think people are okay shutting everything down <laughs> because the the particular interest is a, a, a complete cure and but that's why it's like well wait a second is is will there be a complete cure and that's why you know you have to ask really really good questions here um and very detailed questions that they're not they're they're willing to shut down or is the economy maybe we need to continue to let it grow because all of the forces need to make some type of choice um in the way it performs I, that that's all i'm saying i just thought that Soul's book just offers so much insight right now um, mm. and little room for growth. But yeah, let's go ahead and go to your, let's move on. Let's go. Well, to the, no, I, the other, I mean, yeah. anytime mm. you can bring soul into the discussion, it's going to be a smarter discussion. I think oh, I mean, well. I've, I've learned so much from him. Um, mm. But let, yeah, I wanted to point yeah. out we're, we're already getting close to the hour. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. But great Barrington declaration. Have you read this? No, no. Or okay. Maybe I have. 
Maybe I have. This it's it's been out for a while, but I thought I would. Oh. I think it's worth reading. Um, yeah. When did they sign this? I don't. Uh, oh, no, just like the church. Was, uh, the church to sign. No. This, oh, okay. This is this is not the church. Um, this is epidemiologists. Originally, three these three individuals: oh, Martin, right. Martin Koldorf, okay, Sinetra Gupta, and Jay Bhattacharya. And I probably didn't pronounce all those accurately, wow. but Koldorf yeah. is a professor of medicine at Harvard University. Gupta is a professor at Oxford University. And uh, also notice all of them in their bios, a statistician and epidemiologist with expertise in de detecting and monitoring infectious disease outbreaks and vaccine safety evaluations. Uh, Gupta is an epidemiologist with expertise in immunology, vaccine development, and mathematical yeah, of modeling of infectiouses. Mm -hmm. And Jay mm -hmm. Bhattacharya, who's been one of my heroes throughout this because he's mm -hmm. at Stanford University, he conducted all of the um, antibody studies early on. Um, wow. He's a physician, epidemiologist, health or economist, and mm -hmm. public health policy expert for focusing on infectious diseases and vulnerable populations. So again, all three of these extremely qualified to write a declaration like this. And so I thought we'd read it and comment as mm -hmm. we go. Yeah. Um, but it says a, the great Barrington declaration as infectious disease, epidemiologists and public health scientists, uh, we have great, we have grave concerns about the damaging physical and mental health impacts of the prevailing COVID-19 policies and recommend an approach we call focused protection. Coming from both the left and right and around the world, we have devoted our careers to protecting people. Current lockdown policies are producing devastating effects on short and long-term public health. The results, to name a few, include lower childhood vaccination rates, worsening cardiovascular disease outcomes, fewer cancer screening and deteriorating mental health, leading to greater excess mortality in years to come, with the working class and younger members of society carrying the heaviest burden, keeping students out of school is a grave injustice. Any any comments on that? I mean, I think from let's these just individuals, yeah, yeah, maybe you I want to just I read could, the whole thing. I, yeah, I could keep, I could read a little yeah. bit. And then why don't you read? Yeah, keeping these measures in place until a vaccine is available will cause irreparable damage with the underprivileged disproportionately harmed. Fortunately, our understanding of the virus is growing. We know the vulnerability to death from COVID-19 is more than a thousandfold higher in the old and infirm than the young. Indeed, for children, COVID-19 is less dangerous than many other harms, including influenza. As immunity builds in the population, the risk of infection to all, including the vulnerable, falls. We know that all populations will eventually reach herd immunity, i.e. the point at which the rate of new infections is stable, and that this can be assisted by, but is not dependent upon, a vaccine. Our goal should therefore be to minimize mor mortality and social harm until we reach herd immunity. I don't know if you wanted to pick up. <laughs> yeah, well, no, okay. that's a, I mean, mm. that's an argument that is extremely mm. controversial, obviously, herd immunity. And some people have said mm. millions will die if you go with the herd immunity approach. I mean, I, I wrote a, a mm. thing on Facebook back a long time ago on herd immunity, trying to say, actually, I think it's the most compassionate approach because we will allow the elderly to see their grandkids again sooner than, than this prolonged flattening of the curve that is really not going to save anyone. It's just going to extend how long we're under this pandemic phase. 
right? I mean, it's just going to extend the pandemic overall. Um, and I think, you know, there's a lot of argument that goes into that. And, but just to have the the clarity mm. and the and the boldness for them to make a statement like that. Now, of course, they're saying a vaccine can help that. A vaccine, mm. that's the whole point of a vaccine is to reach herd immunity faster. Um, and so, yes, if a vaccine comes out, that's excellent. But until we get that, we can't just wait. We can't continue on this approach. We need to allow the healthy, those who are those who are extremely unlikely, those who are more likely to get into a car accident and die than they are to get in to catch COVID and die, um, mm. you know, while they're out and about. They need to be able to get back to their normal lives and mm. then protect and care for those who are vulnerable, the most vulnerable, and will breach herd immunity much faster. So it, it, I love, I think you you left it off on our goal. So I'll pick up where, it, because I love what it says next is the most compassionate approach that balances the risks and benefits of reaching herd immunity is to allow those who are at minimal risk of death to mm. live their lives normally to build up immunity to the virus through natural infection while better protecting those who are at highest risk. We call this focused protection. So that's precisely what, wow. I mean, that's obviously better put with all of the credentials behind it, but that was essentially what, you know, what, what I had heard back in May. And I was, I was pushing for that. And that's not because I came up with it. Of course, I was leaning upon guys like Jay Bhattacharya, um, and Scott Atlas, people who were at the Stanford University Medical School, um, or or mm -hmm. were at the Hoover Institute, who were advocating for this balanced approach. So, yeah. Anyways, I love this. Yeah. We can go ahead and just finish it because it's only two sure. more paragraphs. Yeah. Um, why don't you pick up? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and also to on that point, really quick, um, what you said about the herd immunity and the effects of that. Um, there is a paper if anybody's interested by. PNAS, which is the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the, of the United States of America, by, um, I'm going to read all the authors, David Buss, Joel Alcock, Paul Bloom, Michelle Geflin, Sam Harris, um, Barbara Horowitz, Stephen, uh, Stephen Pinker, and one of the main points that they had set on that at Insight, number two, is generation of quarantine may lack critical um, microbial exposures. In other words, it you know, we, we do need exposure to neuropathic mm. viruses. <laughs> and if we don't do that, our immune system actually does go down pretty significantly. So you guys could read that. I could, I could link it here, but, um, adapting measures to protect the vulnerable should be the central aim of public health responses to COVID-19 by way of example, nursing homes should use staff with acquired immunity and perform frequent PCR testing of all other staff and all visitors. Staff rotation should be minimized. Retired people living at home should have groceries and other essentials delivered to their home. When possible, they should meet family members outside rather than inside. A comprehensive and detailed list of measures, including approaches to multi-generational households, can be implemented and is well within the scope and capacity of public health professionals. Those who are not vulnerable should immediately be allowed to resume life as normal. Simple hygiene measures such as hand washing and staying home and when sick should be practiced by everyone to reduce the herd immunity threshold. Schools and universities should open for in-person teaching. Extracurricular activities such as sports should be resumed. Young low-risk adults should work normally rather than from home. 
Restaurants and other businesses should open. Arts, music, sport, and other cultural activities should resume. People who are more at risk may participate if they wish, while society as a whole enjoys the protection conferred upon the vulnerable by those who have built up herd immunity. And this is signed October 4th. This is a few weeks ago, 2020. October 4th. Um, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, really good, huh? Um, and I want to thank Ben Wanamaker for pointing this, uh, mm. pointing me to this uh, declaration. I'd heard of it, but I hadn't hadn't read it. And he, yeah. he uh, mentioned it as a source to look at wow. for this podcast. So, anyways, this I love the the last mm. statement too. People who are more at risk may participate if they wish. How many of the people in uh, that high risk category uh, have you spoken to who say, "Look, I." if I'm in my last years, I don't want to, to be in isolation, <laughs> right? Like they, they're willing to take a risk and, and it, it's not yeah. that they're unwise. They're just counting the cost. and you've yeah. got to allow people to have some authority over their own health to be able to make those decisions. And if they know the cost and they know the risks and they know how to mitigate and they decide to do something differently, let them do that. We don't stop them from, you know, drinking soda. We don't, uh, unless you're in New York City, they try to do that. Um, we don't stop them from having a Big Mac. We don't shut down fast food. You know, it's it's ridiculous the level of nanny state that we've become when it comes to COVID to not let people make decisions for themselves. It's it's absurd. So hmm. anyways, I thought that yeah. was a this is helpful good. Yeah. little yeah. article. Um this is a good, yeah, yeah I, I, I'm glad we got to talk about this. It's probably a good time to, yeah, this is, I enjoy talking about this, man. Yeah, I could, I could, I could keep going, yeah. but I mean, I think, I know we like Yeah, we can going. trend. I, we want to try to stick to the hour, which we did. The hour. Um, like to stick to an hour. Yeah. I do appreciate you want to transition or take the uh, election on another time or do a separate well, like real quick, yeah. I mean, I, I have, yeah. We could do maybe a few more minutes. Who, who do you think's gonna? Who do you think's gonna win? Thanks, Benjamin. So <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's display that for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Let everyone see the encouragement. I yeah. Thanks, yeah. I I mean um, I. Personally, so who do I think's gonna I, win? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, well, I'll let, tell you. You who start. I you start. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Gosh, I was so I, I was really thinking Biden was going to win until I was I was kind of talking about this in our little intro when I started listening to Biden as a business owner because I am a business right. owner and I own a company and you know um, it's very different to watch presidential debates as a business owner because I, I I I do try to take off my own political aspiration <laughs> you know I, I mean I care about different things I want to make money for my <laughs> for my, um, my workers. I want to do that. I want to make a profit. You know, it's, that's, that's my passion as, a, as an owner. Um, so when I was listening to Biden, it just seemed like we we're in the dark ages again. Like he, I mean, just, he had, he offered no hope whatsoever. Mm. Um, I, it was so destitute in comparison with Trump. Now, some people might accuse Trump, like he was being way too, you know, uh, capricious and irresponsible maybe, but I'll be honest with you. If I, if I wasn't making a profit and I had a, had, you know, a family, which I do, and I have three kids and I had a wife and, um, and I have a wife. And if I thought of going back into this huge lockdown state where there's really no answers whatsoever coming from a lot of the people on the far left on what they're really looking for, I'm voting Trump. Like that's me. Like that's just, I mean, I'm like, I'm, I, as much as he is a complete, can be a total jerk. 
I don't mm -hmm. want to go back to what I had experienced losing all that money in the winter. I, I so I have a lot more hope, you know, that he's probably going to you know, win. Um the thing the thing I'm most worried about is if the Democrats win the packing the court, packing of the court which we don't have to get all into right now, losing a significant amount of our own freedoms, you know, I'm, and um because we had Ian on the podcast, I would encourage you all to watch, you know, listen to some of Ian's um content on that but you know i i that's more my i don't know but i didn't really make a prediction i i, I think he i think he'll win based Trump on win. yeah yeah um but i well i'm not betting yeah, a lot of I money think, <laughs> <laughs> i don't that's know probably wise that's yeah. wise well there's a couple of there's a couple of things i don't know um you know we could I won't, I won't bring up these, um, these extra links, but there's a, a, a prediction from helmet Norpoth and it's helmet H E L M U T Norpoth Norpoth N O R P O T H. He's yeah. been accurate for some times, kind of got a reputation for being, um, pretty accurate. And he, like he yeah. was accurate for the 2016 election, which, very few were in that category. Well, he's predicting uh, Trump again and yeah. extremely contrary because actually the polls show that Trump is in worse shape in 2020 than he was in 2016. Although they are tightening, the race is tightening um, as it always does near the election day. The number of um, uh, of uh, like battleground states that are in favor for Biden, it's hmm. like, I think it's like 10 to 2. 10 in favor of Biden and two in favor of Trump right now, or at least that's the last time I checked, I think uh, last night. So if you go off of that and you're worried about things, but almost a lot of those are within the margin of error. Hmm. And then uh, those that are outside of that, the polls are just wrong um, from what hmm. they're seeing when they get back the uh, vote by mail wow. and they get the in-person early vote those statistics that show how many Republicans are voting versus how many Democrats are voting. It, it is not nearly the level because normally Democrats vote by mail. That's just, that's common. They have a, they have a lead going into election day because they vote yeah. by mail. Um, yeah. And so Republicans make it up because they, for whatever reason, and I don't, I don't even know why this is, but Republicans like to do it on election day and they like to kind of be a part of just making that whole day, um, you know, that experience of going well, in person. A lot of Republicans too tend generally don't trust the mail-in ballots and all the other stuff. And that's why a lot of them want True. to go. That, yeah, you're probably they're, right. They're, they're quote conservative and they want to, what they've always done, which makes a lot yeah. of sense. <laughs> that, that does make yeah. sense. Right. Yeah. Much, so there hmm. you go. You, you've got, when you're looking at the early statistics, the, the suggestion or the assumption was that you would have to have like 70% Democrats uh, res, like getting their early, their voting they would have to have that kind of a lead um, mm. in in all across the board in order for Demi for uh, Biden to be in good shape for election day. And he's not hitting those numbers. He's more like 60, 61, 62%. So he does have a lead, but it's not nearly what it needs to be. And that gap is closing every day that we lead to uh, mm. uh, November 3rd. Yeah. So I, my, my take, and I wouldn't have said this a week ago, but my take now is that um, it's looking like a Trump landslide. Like it's, wow. it's pretty, it's, wow. it's pretty remarkable. And that's, a, that's looking at all these battleground States. Uh, Florida is actually reporting their numbers. 
uh, you can get Nevada's numbers. Both Florida and Nevada are are looking good for Trump. Um, wow. Same with even like North well, Carolina. And, also, and we didn't talk about this, but what's happening in Philadelphia? You know, a guy is running after a police officer with a butcher knife and the police officer shoots him with the guys. Anyway, I'm not going to get into all that, but I yeah. think a lot of people are really angry, you know, rightfully so, <laughs> that these riots well, have caused businesses. Think about that. Like you have a pandemic. We just talked about all these six, over 60% of businesses have just been burned to the ground <laughs> through the economy. You know, and now you're going to burn the you're going to burn the businesses again. You know, physically, right. how, how how cooler can you be? Right. Um, that's, that's just me. You know, you know, it's like what point are you making over a guy that was charged with rape, raping another woman, and he was attacking a police officer with a butcher knife? Okay, what am I supposed to do? And then the and then the mayor of 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 Philadelphia is like, well, the you know the it's something to the, investigate, something to investigate. No, it's not. No, you don't run after police officers with butcher knives, guys. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Case closed. Oh, okay. You know, I know. Yeah. I, oh, you're being insensitive. No, I'm not. We have to agree. Like we, I'm all joking. I mean, I'm not joking about this. I mean, I'm kind of passionate about this. This is what a thing. I mean, we have to at least agree on something. We have to agree on, you know, and I think, I, I think a lot of that, honestly, people are just, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I, well, yeah. The, yeah. Well, I, but, Go ahead. I mean, if we should, well, I was just thinking for the sake of time, I want, I, I, maybe yeah. we should save this for next, next week or something just, uh, cause I could, well, I, we I can keep going. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I have to say <laughs> something on it now that you, yeah, but I mean, just the, the idea that, uh, most of the media is, is extremely downplaying the protests, uh, the, the riots, the, the complete chaos that's happening in Philadelphia and anywhere that a riot occurs, it gets downplayed significantly. That clearly is hurting the odds for Biden as well. If, if yeah. this kind of atmosphere is, is allowed to fester and, and be encouraged, then, um, you know, then it, it favors Trump because people want to put an end to it. And we know Trump yeah. is much, much harsher and stronger on these things. He's willing to send in federal agents if it's needed. And instead they, you know, these liberal places are denying it, his help. Um, well, did you so hear it's clear about what, yeah, did you hear about the federal agents um, that are still in Chicago right now? It's um, my wife knows what it is, but she was. I was reading up on that. But um, crime rates in Chicago have plummeted to about fifty. You know, have plummeted fifty percent because of the federal agents that are now working with the mayor in Chicago. But none of that's actually being reported, so you get a significantly yeah. less block on black crime. I'm surprised you know, I haven't you know, less I'm black deaths. Yeah, so I mean, it's just. I think people are right. and you know, there are certain counties too. Trump has like 47% of the black vote, which is crazy to me. I mean, you know, his, he's what rising you say how much percent? Um, in certain places, according to Kim K oh, okay. um, out in California, 47 or excuse me, in Baltimore, 47% in certain districts, which is really, that's the highest of any anyway. So yeah, that would be pretty high. He generally is anywhere very, from 15 to yeah. You know, yeah. which is still more than any conservative president has received right um you know republican yeah. president anyway. so he he but, definitely is taking more of his fair share but we got to wrap it up we do we'll have we'll do <laughs> thanks guys i have to i have to go <laughs> all right all right <laughs> Brad, it was good i love seeing you yeah it's good awesome. good seeing you thanks yeah. for joining us everyone yeah. this was great well thanks everyone oh, yeah thanks all right.